Hello, everyone, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell. That is Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries, and we do this show called Solid Steps Radio. We've been doing it now going on seven years, and we wanted to do a show geared towards men. Uh, men are good at talking about sports and weather and business, uh, but we wanted to be able to talk about things that are a little bit more deeper than just the surface topics in life. Uh, there's a place for that, and I have that in my life, but we wanted to be a place where you could go deeper, and, and hence the name Solid Steps. We believe you are not fulfilling your destiny as a man or woman if you are not walking with the person of Jesus Christ and walking with him in life, throughout life, hence the name Solid Steps. So that being said, today we're talking about a topic that is talked about in some places but a lot of times it's avoided. There's two things you're supposed to not talk about in certain certain circumstances. And we talk about both of them. We're going to talk about both of them today. Um, but to give you an idea, my the first time I ever voted was in 1992. I was 18 years old. I was just out of high school, I'm guessing, uh, that year. And I voted for Bill Clinton as president. And you might say, well, why did you vote for Bill Clinton? And I tell the reason I did is because he was on Arsenio Hall. He was on David Letterman. He was cool. He wore sunglasses, played the saxophone. That's what my culture told me. I thought, that's a cool guy. I'm going to vote for him. Exactly There's a lot of depth there, that, man. As, hey, I was an 18-year-old <laughs> young man, right? That's where I was. So now today's topic is, is going to be how do we, as Christians, or maybe if you're listening, a non-Christ follower, how do you make a decision biblically on how to vote for someone? How do, can, is that even possible? Should we do that? And we're going to talk a little bit today about what that looks like. So we have a pastor, Ken Eidelman. Ken, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Kurt. It's a joy. You've been a Bible college professor. You've been a president of Bible college. You've been teaching the Bible for how many years? Well, uh, about 57 altogether <laughs> as a pastor and as a Bible college president and a Bible college teacher. That's and a long time. That's a long time. That's why we got you on here, Ken. Experience. <laughs> we got experience. And Eric Schonsberg, it's great to have you back on the show, and uh, welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, so, and uh, Eric, you also, you're a professor of economics, but you've also been teaching the Bible for how long? Uh, about 30 years. Taught economics for 35 years. And then books teach on public policy, so it's good. Good fit. So, so, so this is a, this is a great fit. I'm really excited about this show because, um, well, we'll just jump right in. Uh, you know what, Ken? It all started with you. I had a meeting with you, and you threw down a sheet of paper, and you said, "Hey, is this is this political?" And I said, "No, Ken. You got verses by each one of these bullet points. It's biblical, and really, the Bible has a lot to say about how we should vote." It does, Kurt, and and uh, I, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to share with your listeners the biblical principles behind some of the issues that are on the docket right now. They're divisive issues politically, but uh, they are spoken to clearly uh, by the scriptures, by by the timeless truth of God's word, and so I'm glad for us to shine a bright light on that, Eric. Talk to, talk to our listeners right now who might go, I, I, I don't think my vote really matters. I don't think, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you just looked up some research uh, during the presidential elections about how many people vote? About 60% in presidential, about 40% in the midterm elections. And you know, mathematically, your vote probably doesn't matter. 
Uh, so that's one reason not to vote. But uh, the fact is, if, if all of us thought that way, then, you know, our votes would matter. So uh, ultimately, you've got to decide, you know, is that a good 15, 30 minutes, you know, use of your time? And uh, I think for the Christian, that is part of being an effective citizen. But you shouldn't go into it imagining that your vote's going to make the difference in the election. You, got, you probably have a better chance winning the Powerball. <laughs> <laughs> at the same That's an time, economics professor talking about uh, Yeah, there, no right? kidding. But, uh, but, but as a steward of, of, of our lives before God and the, the country that we live in, we have a, be- a beautiful and a, and a wonderful responsibility to participate in elections. Yeah, and this goes back to Genesis 1. I mean, government's alluded to all the way back. And so, you know, government does a lot of stupid and evil stuff, uh, and we don't want to participate in that. And we don't want to embed ourselves too much with government, but government's part of the original plan. Uh, and so for us to participate in that, to redeem uh, politics as much as is humanly possible, divinely possible, uh, we're to take everything in life and work to, to, for its redemption. And politics is a, is a thornier mess than a lot of the other institutions we have, but it's still on the, on the docket. It's something that we're supposed to participate in. Uh, and, and to do it in a way that brings God honor and glory. And I think the mistakes we've made in the past is we've tried to organize and galvanize uh, and strategize to, in order to, to control broad segments of, of the populace of the U.S. Uh, the moral majority uh, issue and the moral majority organization back in, what, the 80s uh, attempted to do that with power the Word of God plainly says it's not by might, not my by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And and control is is not what the Lord exercises. It's not what He wants His people to exercise. But He is. He does want us to speak the truth in love. He does want the redeemed of the Lord to say so. So our vote counts, and our verbal testimony counts as we engage people one at a time. Maybe sometimes we'll have an opportunity to to teach in a broader context. But it's that one-at-a-time principle, changing hearts, changing minds, one-at-a-time that's going to transform the world. It's, it's not uh, power movements, political movements. It's not politicizing the gospel. Yeah, and we, we want to be careful that we, you know, above and beyond everything, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and, 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 and the righteousness of Christ. Um, but I, I want to jump right in because, Ken, you have you created uh, kind of an eight bullet points, and you. I, I just want to jump into number one. How do how we as Christians think and and use the Bible as we vote? And I think that's a that's the key. And I, I think this is the umbrella principle that we ought to vote as closely as we can to what the Scripture teaches, for what God's Word says. Because a nation is exalted by righteousness of its people, but sin heaps disgrace upon the land. I think that's from the Common English Bible. But uh, I think the way the old King James says, uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And that principle is the the principle that compels me to want to uh, vote as closely as I can to what God's Word teaches. Eric, you've been in politics uh, your thoughts and what Ken just said. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely with that. We need to figure out, you know, what that looks like. You know, the balance in Scripture on the other side is that we have to be very careful not to put too much weight into government, to treat it as a tool rather than an idol. 
because the scripture also warns, um, you know, back to power politics and those sorts of things where many Christians have made the other mistake, which is to invest way too much in politics to imagine that it's going to be a savior. I've got a quote from, I've got a book on this, by the way, for people interested called Turn Neither to the Right Nor to the Left, available at the Further Still Ministries website for, I think, five bucks. But I've got a great quote, Tim LaHaye once said, the only way to have genuine spiritual revival is to have legislative reform. Uh, no, that's not right, Tim. Uh, that's a terrible thought. Uh, and that, that speaks of idolatry that was very common in the 80s and still is around today. So, yes, we need to recognize government. We need to recognize its limits. We need to make sure we're not idolatrous towards government. And we need to you know, do what we can to vote properly uh, and to, you know, conduct ourselves appropriately in the political arena, which is pretty tough because it's, it's, it's some nasty business out there. Yes. Um, so, Ken, I, I want to uh, challenge our listeners, you know, we, to go to God's word, and that was your point number one, that overarching, we as Christians, we need to embrace the word of God. Secondly, you, your second bullet point was, um, I will vote for the most pro-life candidate. Because God hates the shedding of innocent blood, bases based on Proverbs six. Talk about that for a minute. The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. There's no way that an abortion can be performed without the shedding of blood. There's nothing more innocent than a child in the womb. Uh, the fact is, abortion stops a beating heart. The big debate is uh, when does life start? Well, it starts at conception. That's the only logical position because we're constantly in a state of change from that point on. Aging. I don't look the, the way today at age 75 that I looked like when I was 60 or 45. And I think I'm 45 sometimes and until I pass by a full-length mirror and <laughs> after a shower, then I realize I've changed. We're all in a state of change from the time of conception, and it's just the, the environment, the venue that we're in that's different, the womb versus the world. And, um, and so it, it is clearly the taking of a life for our convenience for the most part. Yes. We're going we're gonna to continue to piggyback up on that in the next segment. So we're going to take a break, come back, and talk about seven more principles that would be a, a pro, uh, what to look for in a candidate from a biblical standpoint. As we take a break, come back more on Solid Steps Radio. So in our last segment, we were talking about probably the big topic of most people's hot button as far as what's the deciding factor. And so, Eric, in, in the break, you mentioned about how, how science um, speaks to this. Yeah, I think there's two things we miss a lot here. One is that, you know, the science is on our side. There's a lot of rhetoric about, you know, denying the science or relying on the science. This is one where we rely on the science. And so it's consistent with our religious beliefs, but when we're out in the secular 
world. We need to rely on the science and use that as part of our argument. And second, this is a justice issue. The scriptures are very clear about how God is into justice, uh, and that's at the foundation of his throne and so on. And so uh, abortion is a top-tier justice issue and needs to be a top-tier issue for us as well. Amen. Ken, you, 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 were, you shared in the break. Yeah, uh, I just uh, had a week ago last Sunday a, a great-grandson born, so I'm now a great-grandfather. <laughs> and uh, and as, I, as I held little McKay Isaac um, Dale in my arms, I was just struck. It had been 14 years since we'd had a, a baby and a, a baby granddaughter. Now, this is a great-grandson. And just uh, looking into that sweet, innocent face uh, was just heartwarming on one hand, but it was so disturbing to think about the fact that, that what, 60, 80 million babies have had their lives extinguished uh, through the years and uh, in this national scourge that used to be punishable by law and today is actually subsidized. I just saw yesterday a piece that said that uh, military uh, people who need an abortion, women who need an abortion who are in the military, that the government will actually pay for their transportation to wherever they need to go uh, to get a legal abortion. And so, you know, it's just we're going farther and farther down this uh, trail that that is uh, um, the Lord, if if his justice doesn't prevail, he will we'll have to give an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah one day. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's an issue that's, that's big. It's huge. It shouldn't be our only one, but it's, it's uh, near the top. We, there's a good reason, though, why that so many people on the other side go, why do you make that the only reason? Or watch it, why is that the most vocal? Because at the end of the day, it's a life, and that's why God values life. And so it, it becomes a political issue, but like you all said, Wed said very well, it's a biblical issue. So. Well, when we are created in the image of God, right. and we decide that we're going to take that and we are going to destroy that, now we become God. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, I think it's, uh, the Bible is very, very clear. We need to vote for a pro-life folks. The first command is be fruitful, multiply. Yeah, amen. Okay, Ken, you also wrote, so in your, uh, your next bullet point, I will vote for the most pro-Israel candidate because God blesses those who bless Israel and he curses those who do not. Yeah, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, God said to Abraham, and of course, ultimately, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus, was, was born and uh, of the lineage of, uh, of Abraham. And so this is, this is significant, um, and these are, these are God's chosen people from days gone by, and, um, and the nation of Israel is, um, is to be honored and revered because of the promise of Abraham and because of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Yes. Eric, you have a thought, uh, thoughts on that? No. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's, it's just pretty clear. And, and so, again, vote for a, uh, the candidate that is going to be leaning towards and embracing the love of Israel and the, the blessing of Israel. I love what Chad said. Uh, he cautioned his son about. Yeah, I said, if any of my boys, my older ones, is if you ever get in the military and your commanding uh, officer tells you to turn your guns in the, in the direction of Israel, you lay your gun down, 
you put your hands behind your head and you surrender and say, I will not do that. It's that big of a deal. You don't point your guns in Israel's way. You got to honor them. And uh, it's a big deal. And that may not matter in your, your district of local elections nearly as much, but at the end of the day, from a national standpoint, it's pretty big. It's a, it's a big deal. Historically, being a Christian nation, and we are a Christian nation, visit the capital. Look at the inscription of, of the scripture that's, uh, that's engraved in the, the buildings in Washington, D.C. We, we have been historically a Christian nation, and, um, and that's why we've had an affinity for Israel through the years. And some people don't understand why they have been an ally. It's for deeper reasons than goes all the way back to the, uh, the, the, the first book of the Bible. Yep. Amen. Ken, you also, uh, your next point was, I will vote for the most pro-debt reduction candidate because the borrower is servant to the lender, Proverbs 22. Talk about that, Ken. Yeah, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. And uh, I'm alarmed by the amount of, uh, of money we're in debt. What's, what is it now? It's uh, 30-some trillion dollars. And uh, a lot of that debt is uh, to China. And China is fast becoming the, uh, the lender. And we are fast becoming the borrower. And uh, ultimately, if it doesn't change, uh, our posterity will be speaking Chinese. Yeah. Yeah, my concerns there are a little different. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about them sacking the economy. There comes a point at, at which the Chinese are actually third on the list of other countries that lend to us. But you know, basically, no one's going to lend us money. We get to be too risky, and then you've got a, a real problem on your hands. Again, the rhetoric here is pretty interesting. Uh, we talk a lot about democracy. Well, this is terribly undemocratic. We're taking money from the future without their consent and spending it on our stuff today. Mm-hmm. And that's an argument that could be made. So other than sacking the economy and taking money from the future, it's a lovely idea. Uh, and, the, and the way you fix that is not through more taxes. Our taxes are plenty high. Uh, it's through cutting government spending. And unfortunately, both parties are pretty bad at increasing spending. So uh, we need some, some real fiscal conservatives. And unfortunately, there's very few of those in either party. Um, and, and that really is not just a national thing. Yeah, state and locals are in much better shape there. Usually they have constitutional amendments at the state level that prevent them from getting uh, very far out of hand. So it does happen sometimes, but uh, the national problem there is much larger than the state and local. I'm just curious about uh, who are other people that we borrow, other nations that we borrow. I forget the list. I think the Dutch, I mean, I forget the the nations, but it's pretty easy to look up that. Uh, The Chinese are, are players in that, and the Chinese are the most noteworthy uh, of that. But uh, if you look at the list, you can get that on Google or something. It's, the Chinese are actually uh, beat up on a lot uh, on that topic. I'm concerned about the Chinese for other reasons, but uh, the, the debt part of it, it's actually a very small percentage of the debt. You know, but we as a people, we, we are continuing to live with debt personally, but, but, but and we, need to, we need to understand the, the, that we become a slave. Yeah, the biblical attitude toward... Uh, toward money is is really very simple in three statements control spending resist debt enjoy giving that's what the bible says about money and and we're in violation as a nation we're, we're in violation of all three we're on a spending spree we're going deeply in debt and uh 
and the, the giving is, is usually politically motivated um, and it's not enjoyed. A lot of the debt is also lent to ourselves. So we're talking about our own retirement accounts that we're going to sack with this sort of shenanigans. The government someday, if they do it right, if they're going to goof us up on this, will just inflate it away very quickly. They'll just go, on, go down in the basement, print a bunch of money. Or more likely what they would do is just default on the debt. They would say, hey, we're just kidding about that. We're going to give you 40 cents on the dollar. And that's the way they're going to resolve it, um, which would be terrible for investments, 401ks, markets, prosperity, material prosperity and the like. I mean, it would just be devastating if we default on the debt. We need to look at, at candidates who are serious about this issue. So those are a few. And if you have nothing else, the first couple of segments, I think we've got a lot of what you could vote for. But there's another five or six here that are really intriguing. And we're going to talk more about those in the upcoming segment. So stay tuned. We'll be back here shortly on Solid Steps Radio. So in our last, if you're just joining us, by the way, you can go to SoundCloud, iTunes, or Facebook, type in Solid Steps Radio, hear all of our shows, thanks to our great sponsors, Commercial Free. Our first two segments, Kurt, we were talking about, if you're just joining us live, uh, hearing the radio, that we talked about what is a pro-biblical uh, kind of a punch list, what can we look for on who to vote? Won't you review so, uh, you know, and this is uh, Ken Eidelman. I'm going to give you all the credit, brother. This is a... Uh, if you're stuff. mad at us, call Ken. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> that's right. Thanks, guys. Don't publish my number. <laughs> you know, Ken, you wrote, I will vote based as closely as I can on God's word because a nation is exalted by the righteousness of its people, but sin heaps disgrace upon the land. And then you said, I will vote for the most pro-life candidate because God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And then you said, I will vote for the most pro-Israel candidate because God blesses those who bless Israel and curses those who do not. And then you said, I will vote for the most pro-debt reduction, not pro-debt, but the pro-debt reduction candidate because the borrower is servant to the lender. All of these come right out. That's out of Proverbs 22. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender, and each one of these are come right out of, out of God's word. And then, can you? Uh, your next bullet point was, I will vote for the most pro-work candidate, because God says, if a man won't work or will not work, he shall not eat. Yeah, pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, work is sanctified in Scripture, and of course, what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica here is, when we were with you, we gave you. This, this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And uh, it, it, it just means that uh, we were not to be, we're not put on this earth to just live uh, at ease. And uh, we were put on this work to be productive, uh, to use our gifts and talents and abilities uh, to honor God and to bless people and to, uh, to edify people and to provide for our families. So... 
to not do that is uh, is a, a bad thing. It's a sinful thing. In fact, Scripture says uh, uh, that uh, if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So there's there's a sanctification of of work. Work is a big deal in the eyes of God. It's the first institution. I mean, Genesis 2, we talk about marriage, but work comes before marriage in Genesis 2. So there's that. I mean, some of this is a federal issue. I mean, the last few years we had government mailing out all kinds of checks for COVID and all that. But most of this is a state issue, and I'm really thankful we get to talk about state and local issues a little bit here uh, where we actually can have more influence, I think, as a Christian and for, for me as a labor economist, I think immediately of welfare policies where we pay people uh, and they get less money if they work. Uh, if they save too much money, they, they get cut off. And they only get the money if they don't have uh, a marriage. Well, that's terrible on every level. And so Christians ought to be a lot more involved with this issue. Welfare policies have caused unbelievable damage to families, children. Again, a justice issue with all the damage done to children here. When you pay people to form single parent, uh, single parent households, it causes tremendous damage, and Christians don't spend nearly enough time on that issue. We still need to take care of the, those who are, you know, handicapped in, in, in different ways. Um, and, and we as the church, we, we even talked about mm-hmm. um, in the break, you know, Chad, you mentioned about well, I think one of the things is it seems like this is a very general statement. The left, the Democrats, tend to want to say, hey, we want to take care of people through government. And you know what? I'm going to applaud anybody who wants to take care of the poor. Okay. But then the other side of the conservative says, well, we don't want the government in our, in our pockets. When I would look to both and I would say to the left, uh, how much money are you spending? You want the government to spend through tax money to take care of the poor, which again, I am not anti taking care of the poor through government programs. But then I will look over to my brothers and sisters on the right and I go, how much have you given to take care of the poor, right? There's the, there's the back and forth. And I think uh, there's just something about being able to work in order to provide to be able to do that. Yeah. I think Eric's point though is really good. And he said a lot in a succinct amount of time that was really important. I hope people heard it, but uh We've, we've got to get back to uh, a better work ethic in our culture. The, the pandemic has really messed with people's heads with respect to work, and I, I'm not sure that, that we're back to where we were pre-pandemic, even though we're talking about all these jobs being added. Uh, we've got to realize that we started from a much lower base as a result of people fleeing out of the workplace, uh, and uh, and now just coming back, so those really aren't new jobs. Yeah, I, I I think about what Paul said. He said, "Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to work with your hands." And I I, I think we can't um, say enough the beauty of work and God's mission in work and the purpose of work, and 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 not to rely on other people. We need to be industrious and have good work ethic. So Ken, I love your point. Yeah. If you don't eat, if you're not eating, that becomes a really great motivator to get to work. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Ken, uh, your next uh, bullet point was, um, I will vote for the most pro marriage candidate because God is pro marriage as defined in Genesis two and Matthew chapter 19. In the beginning, the creator made them male 
and female. A man will be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. And in the Genesis 2 passage, that last phrase that Jesus mentions here was not in the text of Genesis 2. Why did Jesus say, what God has joined together, let no one separate? He's talking here about male and female. He made them male and female. A man will be united with his wife. The two will become one flesh. Then he said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why did he say that? Is it because he thought someday there would be this attempt to to generate uh, same-sex marriage? Why, why did he say that? Because that wasn't what he was asked in context, and it's not in the Genesis 2 passage. The words of Jesus really need to be heeded in this generation. Don't separate what God has joined together, male and female, husband, yep. wife. So building on that, you know, this is a great area to talk about. You know, politics is fine, but politics has its limits. And people say, you know, marriage has been quote, destroyed the last 10 years. Marriage was destroyed, if you're going to use that language, 50 years ago when we let divorce run rampant. And, you know, if you're listening to this show and you're like, yeah, rah, rah, you know, blah, blah, blah about this form of marriage or whatever, and your marriage is in shambles, or you're not treating your wife well, how about you get on your horse and take care of your wife? And how about you take care of your marriage and get some counseling and quit treating your wife like whatever. I mean, we are so bad on this. and The church has been so lousy on this. We have no witness, basically, to the outside world on this issue. And there's so much damage in society and in the church with respect to divorce and lousy marriages when we are built to have glorious marriages. Mm. And we just don't, we don't settle. And I'd rather people spend less time on politics and more time on their marriages. We'd be in a much better society and church if we did that. Yeah. Scripture calls it the the gracious gift of life, uh, the grace of life. And to, to your point, Eric, uh, marriage is, is a gift from God, and it's, it's so much more than what it's typically portrayed to be in this, in this day and time. And men were made to be the initiators. We're to monitor the health of our marriage and the happiness of our marriage. And if it's not what it ought to be, we are the initiators. Our wives are more the responders, and we need, men need to step up. When I was in a local church, when there was marriage counseling to be done, quite often, almost always, it's the wife who comes and says, we're in trouble, we need help. Where is, where is the husband? He's the one that needs to be stepping up. Yeah. It's like Genesis 3, man. Uh, you know, Eve is getting tempted by the devil, and Adam's standing there like a dope, letting his wife get worked <laughs> over. And, you know, we, that's the way men roll. We're too passive. We're either jerks or we're passive, and we need to step up our game. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with one more final segment with a couple more uh, characteristics to look for in a candidate when you vote here on Solid Steps Radio. So 
if you missed the first three segments, you need to go back and listen to it. They are on our podcast. Go back and listen. There's six other principles that Ken and Eric have been talking about what to look for in a candidate. So, Ken, your point number seven was, I will vote for the candidate who most closely believes government's purpose is to reward good and punish evil, based out of Romans 13. Right. You do what is right, you'll be commended. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Government is to be a terror to evildoers. And uh, so I think looking at candidates who believe that government's purpose and our judicial system and our law enforcement system uh, have got to reward evil or reward good and punish evil and to reflect that in their record. Yeah. Eric, your thoughts? I agree. That takes us back to state and local policies, but let's jump on down to number eight there. Okay. So number eight, uh, Ken, you wrote, I will vote for the candidate who lives by and advocates for God's order in the creation of sex and the sexes, based out of Romans chapter 1. Right. The wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way men also abandoned natural relations and were inflamed with lust for one another. So there is a difference between a male and female. There's a difference between men and women. It's, it's reflected in biology. It does need to be respected. I cringe every time I hear somebody make reference to the fact that God made a mistake here. Uh, and that's going to take too much time to unpack. But uh, So let me pass the ball to Eric. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good time to talk about state and local. I mean, we could devote whole shows to all of these things. So, you know, that's... That's the way it goes. But you know, I think we've talked at the beginning how, you know, it's fine to vote in federal elections. It's, it's fine to send somebody 100 bucks or whatever you're going to do. But the odds of you impacting federal races, just not that great. Uh, you know, but the more local it gets, the more impact we can have. And so there's this uh, tendency for us, and it's through the media, to glorify the national races. But we really need to spend a lot more time instead, I think, on local and state or even something like the school board, right? So that takes us to these issues with respect to sexuality. Unfortunately, there's places like Kentucky that are way behind on educational choice. Uh, and so that the, the state needs to do a lot more work there. So we have choice among schools. And then, you know, you're not trying to jam your preferred vision of whatever down my throat by putting that in the, in the schools. For now, Kentucky, at least, the best you can do is to fight within the monopoly power the government has. And that's to capture school boards, have people on school boards that are going to be reasonable about these things. So it just puts a lot more energy into local and state government. If Kentucky has school choice, that would be huge. If And given that they don't have school choice, then you got to do what you can with the school boards and uh, you know, make a difference on these issues. We need in many ways across the country, but uh, to flip school boards, there's school board members who are, are, are bringing in Ken? What you uh, your point here? They're they're bringing in sexual teachings in the classroom that is a complete reproach to the living God. One of the things you notice with with young people growing up, they go through periods when they are really questioning their identity. You know, who am I? Uh, particularly girls in their early teens, and generally boys in their late teens, they're wrestling with the whole identity issue. And, and they have self-doubt. And if somebody steps up and says, well, I've got the answer, 
the reason uh, why you're confused and you're searching and you're unfulfilled is because you're not really a boy, you're a girl, or you're not really a girl, you're a boy. And it just caters to that identity confusion. It's gender dysphoria is fueled by, by this movement. In, and I never imagined it would find its way into the educational system, but it's here. And parents are being marginalized while uh, school officials are taking over the most fundamental thing about raising children, and that is to shape their identity. I just finished reading Abigail Schreier's tremendous book on this called Irreversible Damage, and I'll be posting a review on my blog soon on that. But it's a great book on this topic. And one of the points she makes is that the schools often uh, are adversaries to parents on this. Um, and so yeah, you have to be careful not to assume that, that that's the way your school is operating, but you can't just assume that your school is taking care of business on that. There were way too many examples in this book. Uh, and again, the government has monopoly power. So if they want to jam something down your throat, you're not in a very good position uh, to, to avoid that. But you need to be careful uh, in your own setting. And again, school boards are important as a way to decide what's happening in those schools. We, we need to do some research as God's people on who are, who are the folks leading our school boards and who's on the school boards and what kind of decisions and policies they're putting in place. If we don't know those things, Shame on us. We need to know what's going on, and we need to bend. If, if, they are, if they are putting policies and things into place in the school that what, what you were talking about, Ken, that, that is. Um, and you have to put the time into that, you know. So, you know, again, I think for the person on the ground listening to this show, you make choices with your time, right? Should you spend, you know, four hours watching Fox News and reading listening to this, that, and the other about national politics, that's not really a great use of your time. If we're talking about stewardship, you know, a better use of your time is getting a little more educated on something like a school board matter uh, where you can actually have an impact on the race. So I, I'm not sure we steward our resources very well. We, I think we treat politics as entertainment and as team sports, and it's just a game to us a lot of times. And, and there's real stuff at stake here. Uh, but the problem is you're not going to probably make much difference at the national level. It's a local and state where we need to spend a lot more of our resources, whether it's money or time. Colleges and universities are where our leaders today are, are primarily educated uh, past high school. And uh, in the, in the uh, universities and colleges, in the graduate schools. And I don't need to tell you how the Lordship of Christ and the authority of the Bible are marginalized and sometimes resisted with hostility. And uh, in that kind of a situation, we've, we've just got, we've got to address it, as Eric said, at a local level. We've got work to do as parents. We're going to be the guardians of, uh, of our children and our, our communities. We cannot entrust them to, uh, their, the shaping of their hearts and minds to people who've been schooled in environments where, where um, God is absent and the scripture is uh, resisted. I think another thing we haven't talked about at all is character. You know, the, the policy views for most candidates will probably neatly line up where we won't have really difficult choices, but we still have to worry about character. And we also have to worry about candidates who will pay lip service to us, right? Especially on things like debt reduction, right? They say they'll do X, right? Or they say they're pro-life, but they didn't take the money for Planned Parenthood out of the budget or whatever. So, you know, because we're not paying that much attention, it's very easy for politicians to fool us. And we have to be careful to look at character and avoid lip service. Mm, bingo. Yep. Um, 
our time is up, guys. Uh, Ken, thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing. Eric, thanks for sharing your guys' heart and wisdom. And uh, listeners, go out and vote and make a difference. Be a light of the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You mm-hmm. are the salt of the earth. You are a minister of the gospel. And uh, we, we, we need to be um, the light of the world. That's who we are. Ken, would you pray us out? I will. Would you pray for us, please? Thanks. Father God, I thank you that Jesus declared that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Lord, that every person who is tuning in today would receive that, would believe that, would make that the cornerstone of their life and future. I thank you for the time together today to reason with like-minded men who who are loving you with their minds and uh, who are sharing in this conversation today to be helpful to the listeners out there. And Lord, I just pray you'd take what's been said and uh, that you would impress it on the heads and hearts of every listener. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Eric. Amen. So, listeners, uh, you've got your marching orders, and uh, we, we didn't pick a candidate today. We didn't tell you who to vote for, but we told you what to look for in a candidate. So we pray that you will vote and do that. Thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio.